Hey, what's up everybody? You're listening to the Enterprise Architecture Radio. If you're thinking about organizational complexity and agility, if you're concerned about operational efficiencies and thinking of taking it to the next level, if managing innovation is one of your priorities, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we talk about all of that and more. It's a jungle out there, and we'll attempt to navigate this jungle of frameworks, methods, and most importantly, enterprise architecture in practice. Let's talk data today. I know there was a request for me to cover metadata management and I will not be doing it today, but I'm covering a similar topic. I'm going to try to cover six topics today. Data service layer architecture, data mesh architecture, data marketplace, active metadata, synthetic data, and streaming data and analytics. Let's start with the data service layer architecture. The data service layer architecture is actually not very complex to understand. It is just a layer of data abstraction that works between application and the real data. As the organizations grow in complexity, whether it's organically or inorganically, new applications and new data start coming into the landscape. All this data may or may not be homogeneous. It may be heterogeneous. It may be used for different business functions. It may be of different formats, etc., etc. What data abstraction layer does is it tries to create a homogeneous layer that will essentially provide you with the data that you need. So you don't need to go and talk to the data layer directly. You talk to the data abstraction layer and the layer will fetch you the data that you need. There are many benefits of having a data service layer. First of all is heterogeneous data can all be accessed through a homogeneous interface. It includes all libraries and all drivers that are necessary to talk to the correct data repository. Uh, it gives you the knowledge of where all the data lives or you rather I would say it does it makes you capable of not requiring the knowledge of where all the data lives because you are only talking to the data abstraction layer or the data service layer and it's the data service layer that has the job of going and fetching the data from wherever it really lives. Update applications every time a new data source technology is introduced. Uh, you now call the data services layer and get the requests satisfied automatically and problem solved for everyone. But it's not all good. There are some bad sides of the data service layer as well. Um, if the data service layer goes down, for example, it's a single point of failure and the effect could be catastrophic because all your high availability data, all your business critical data is being accessed through the data layer. And, and unless there is a very well-planned business continuity, the effect could be disastrous. Another drawback is troubleshooting, performance issues. If the data service treats requests as a unit of work, it can cause significant delays waiting for one data source out of many to fulfill its requests. A very good understanding of dependencies and, and, and a fairly verbose logging capabilities is uh, required to track data source timings and, and delivery fulfillment. And when data services goes down or are slow, it's a bad day for everybody. So there are goods and there are bad. The question that you really need to ask yourself is how complex is your landscape? Do you have extremely heterogeneous data? Do you have a large number of applications that are vastly different from each other? Do you have SQL Server, Oracle, MySQL, PostgreSQL, 
SAP, S4 HANA, all kinds of databases? Uh, do you have a large number of applications that are SaaS, infrastructure as a service, and so on and so forth? If that's the case, then data service layer architecture may not be the best architecture for you. By the way, the data service layer architecture is also called data fabric. And we've done, we've covered data fabric in one of the previous episodes of this podcast. Now, one of the biggest weaknesses of the data fabric or the data service layer architecture is its centralized nature. It's the single point of failure for all your data. It is the single point of access for all your heterogeneous complex data requirements. Data Mesh tries to fix this issue by creating a decentralized approach to data fabric. So instead of building a complex set of ETL pipelines to move and transform data to specialized repositories where the various communities can analyze it, the data is retained in its uh, roughly original form and a series of domain-specific teams take ownership of the data as they shape the data into a product. So there are four principles, really. The first point is it is domain-oriented decentralized data. So uh, really, you don't have generic data access APIs. You have domain-specific ownership and architecture of the data. Second is data as a product. Third is self-serve data infrastructure as a platform. And fourth is federated computational governance. So whoever owns the data, whoever prepares the architecture of the data, whoever is managing the transformation of the data is also responsible for the computational governance of that data. So you now don't have a single data fabric for all your data. You have domain-specific data access layer. So it is a mesh. It is still a data fabric, but it is decentralized and is owned by people who are using the data, really. Which brings us to our next topic, which is very interesting, called data marketplace. A data marketplace offers data consumers an intuitive, secure and centralized and standardized data shopping experience. It brings data closer to the data analysts and scientists by utilizing the underlying metadata. So it's more related to the metadata. To democratize data via your data mesh architecture, the focus is on several important areas. One is the data product experience play. Now, we talked about data product in the data mesh concept where we treat data as a product. What does that really mean? It means uh, all data providers and data consumers uh, work together on what data can be made available. Interfaces should provide extensive search capabilities that allow users to search on keywords, business terms, and natural languages even, which brings us to the metadata management uh, concept, which we'll talk about some other day. And it enables the metadata search and discovery. So that's really data product experience. You should be able to, like on Amazon, you look for products, you should be able to go and look at the marketplace and you should be able to find your data product that you need based on keywords, etc. The other thing that we talked about uh, in Data Mesh was data infrastructure self-serve. The data infrastructure plane helps you automate the deployment and provisioning of common and reusable consumption patterns. Consumption patterns can include storage accounts, databases, compute, identity management, and so on. So best practices for allowing your users to set up and launch their own data services are there as a part of the data infrastructure plane. So if you want to set up a new database, if you want to set up a new instance of a, I don't know, unstructured data, you should be able to do it 
quickly. It's the automated provisioning of the data infrastructure. And then comes the data mesh experience plane. So we talked about data mesh. We know that it is um, decentralized and all of that. But when you combine the data mesh with the data infrastructure and the, the product concept, data product concept, that forms the data marketplace. So what is the mesh experience? It helps you keep sight of the health status of all your interfaces, your data pipelines, your data contracts, provisioned components, central tools, and so on. All of these combined together forms your data marketplace. It is one of the services available on Microsoft Azure, for example, and that's not the only cloud provider that gives you that service. I'm sure AWS has something of that sort as well. Now, we talked about metadata in data marketplace uh, while we were talking about the data as a product. Now, there are two concepts. One is uh, what was data originally designed for? And second is how is the data being actually used? Active metadata management enables continuous access to analysis of metadata across an organization's data stack of users, systems, and uh, data governance tools. The analysis is then used to build recommendations based on the business outcomes achieved. In other words, active metadata management closes the gap between data as designed, so what was the data designed for, and data as actually used. And this happens uh, in every organization. You uh, design applications, you design your database for a specific purpose, and then other applications and other users come around and they say that this data is very useful to me, so I'm going to use it like this. You know, And they pick up their data and then they use it however way they want to. But since the data is not designed for those kind of purposes, sometimes it becomes inefficient. So what active metadata management does is it monitors the access and use of data and it monitors the business outcomes achieved because of that usage, which helps us in redesigning the data platform so that it can be used most efficiently, most effectively, and improve the business outcomes out of that data. So that is active metadata management. That brings us to a very interesting topic called data streaming. Streaming data is data that is generated continuously by thousands of data sources, which typically send in data records simultaneously in small sizes. Streaming data includes a wide variety of data, such as log files generated by customers using a mobile device or a web application, e-commerce purchases, game player activity, information from social networks, financial trading floors, or geospatial services, and, and telemetry from connected devices or instrumentation in data centers. It could be any kind of data, and this is data that's constantly coming in. This data needs to be processed sequentially and incrementally on a record-by-record -record basis or over sliding time windows and used for a variety of analytics, including correlations, aggregations, filtering, and sampling. Information derived from such analysis gives companies visibility into various aspects of their business and customer activity, such as service usage for metering and billing, server activity, website clicks, geolocation of devices, people, physical goods, and enables them to respond promptly to emerging situations. For example, businesses can track changes in public sentiment on their brands and products by continuously analyzing social media streams and respond in a timely fashion as the necessity arises. So it's not just metadata that we are constantly monitoring. We're also monitoring data. Now, this requires a larger uh, effort and 
we also have something called uh, streaming analytics uh, which is used in various things various uh, areas of business like e-commerce financial services investment services news media and utilities and it's one of the very important value adds in our data roadmap and the last topic that i'm going to cover today is uh, synthetic data many many years ago when i started my career as a programmer uh, one of the things that i learned was test first development and we used to test our coding units using mocks and using synthetic data now we've come a long way from there and synthetic data is not just used for testing anymore it can be used in a number of use cases the largest application of synthetic data in today's day and age is the training of neural networks and machine learning models as the developers of these models uh, need carefully labeled data sets uh, that could range from a few thousand to tens of millions of items synthetic data can be artificially generated to mimic real data sets enabling companies to create a diverse and large amount of training data without spending a lot of money and time uh, according to Paul Walborski co-founder of AI Reverie one of the first dedicated synthetic data services a single image that would cost $6 from labeling service can be artificially generated for 6 cents uh, so creating synthetic data for machine learning models and their training is not only cheaper it's faster it's quicker and it's much better than the real world data so those are the six topics that i wanted to cover as a part of the podcast today now while this is a wide span of data related topics and there is a tremendous amount of work that can be done in trying to understand each topic in detail what i try to do in this podcast is give you a wide scope and help you think about how you can use these concepts in the real world how you help you think about how these concepts apply within your organization but most importantly i expect or i hope that you start talking about these topics and you start a discussion that essentially spurs the debate and 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 makes the entire ecosystem a lot more interesting that's all i have for you today folks i hope you enjoyed the show more about organizational agility innovation and enterprise architecture in the practical world in the business right here on the show but before i end the show i want you to help me out with this one little thing pause the show and share this podcast via whatsapp or text message with at least one person who might be interested in the show it could be anyone your colleague your boss someone in your team that's all i ask just one share with one message via text or whatsapp or any social media of your choice and it would go a long way in supporting this podcast and growing this listener base also please don't forget to follow the podcast that way you'll get notified when we publish a new episode If you want to find out more about us, you can find us at enterprisearchitectureradio.com. If you have ideas, thoughts, disagreements, please feel free to write to me directly. Uh, we also have a Telegram group if you would like to contribute to the EA discussions or what have you. Just search for Enterprise Architecture Radio on Telegram. Or the URL to join the group is https://t.me/enterprisearchitectureradio. While our contact details are there in the show notes, We are very easy to find. Just search for Enterprise Architecture Radio anywhere. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even Discord. Once again, I hope you had fun and I'll see you in the next one.